Uh, just a few uh, kind of uh, announcements, kind of some in-house church stuff, and then we'll we'll get to some singing. Um, first off, just want to let you know, uh, I'm going to be gone next week, taking some vacation. And uh, next week, Heidi Schmidt is going to be sharing, and uh, on behalf of Grace Children's Home. So uh, I presume she talked to you about that. I don't know if she did or not, but uh, she'll be up here. Um, also, a, f- a few other things on the calendar. May 31st, we're doing a f- kind of a financial stewardship weekend. Uh, Garvey Schmidt and John Weeb from the MB Foundation uh, in Hillsborough, Kansas, are going to be here. Uh, they're going to be doing some stuff with Sunday school class. They're going to be uh, teaching us from the pulpit. And then after lunch, they're going to do a kind of an end-of-life estate planning seminar that's, that's going to be available for those who are interested. Uh, June 2021, 20, Camp Weekend, we're going to be doing our church service out at Timberlake. Uh, looks like we will be able to do uh, one or two baptisms there while we're uh, there. And um, if you're interested, uh, camping is available Saturday night for those of you who, uh, who would be interested in something like that. So, and you're all encouraged to do so. And also um, in Pilger, uh, MDS, Mennonite Disaster Service, they're looking for more volunteers. Uh, the next three weeks are, are looking a little bit sparse. And uh, they have a couple houses, and it sounds like each house is kind of in a different stage of construction. And so they have all kinds of stuff that they need, whether it's plumbing or countertops or drywalling or uh, vapor barriers, all kinds of different stuff. So, um, yeah, talk to myself or uh, Dale Gertson as well, too, if you're interested in that. Let's do a word of prayer, and then let's sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the beautiful day that you have given us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship, and may this be a time that's honoring and glorifying to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. In John, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. And I just invite you to come to him, uh, just a realization of our deep need for Jesus, and also a fully realization that he gives us all that we need. So let's stand and just worship our God who provides all that we need and who meets our deepest need as well. You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in.
Give us that belief 
and who we are in you, that we are complete, that we are significant, that we are loved, that we are victorious and created and courageous, Lord, that we are forgiven and we are free to love you, to love others, and to serve the world. And we thank you for who you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, at this point in the service, we always like to take a few moments to pray. And, uh, you know, there's a, f- a few prayer requests I would share with you, but um, you're welcome to, if you just kind of need to do some business with God, if you've been distracted all morning and you just need to bring something before Him, uh, it, it's up to you. Uh, a few things that I, um, I would uh, present to you that, that we could be praying for as well, too. Uh, of course, the missionaries uh, who we support, Kenton and Kedron Miller, who serve in Berlin, Germany, and uh, Jason and Nicole Queering, serving in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, we'll be praying for them and for their families. Uh, in Nepal, the, the death toll continues to rise, and there's still just a lot of devastation and destruction there, and so I would invite you to pray for that. Uh, Tyler Noonenkamp, he's a, um, a young man in, in the hospital, uh, relatives here in town, and uh, has been on the verge of death. Um, last week. He is improving, but he's still in the hospital. So, um, yeah, some of you are, are familiar with a bit of that journey. And, of course, graduation. Uh, seniors. Uh, this is a big step. So uh, I would invite you to be praying for them as well, too. Let's have a little bit of silence, and then I'll conclude our prayer time. Heavenly Father, uh, you are a good, good Father. And that's something that Scripture repeats to us time and again. And what a gift to us that that would be a title that you instruct us uh, to call you. That that would be your preferred method uh, or or understanding of our relationship. That this isn't something that we made up. that, That this is something that you articulated. That we should look to you as the good, good Father. We love you, Lord. We worship you this morning. Amen. Ushers. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart. your breath. 
Well, as Christians, we believe that Scripture is God's uh, living word to us, right? I mean, that that God's Holy Spirit uh, is willing to illuminate it and explain it uh, as we study it and enjoy it. Uh, But as Christians, we also value families, we value youth, we value education. So when graduation happens, it's like this fantastic meeting, right, or this combining of two wonderful things. And uh, so we believe that it's good to give something of value to someone of value, right? Uh, In this room, there are only two things that are eternal, and that's the Word of God, and that's people. And so today, we're going to give something that is eternal to someone who is eternal. And so uh, Craig and Christine are going to do, there you are, uh, presentation of the Bible. Hello. Are you coming up, Craig? Okay, it's just you and me. Hey, Lydia, come up here. Of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self control. And we 
giving me a spirit of strength and of hope and of love and of you opening your eyes wide to see things. You know, you have an, a heart of love for others and everybody needs that. It's really awesome. You know, it's just a great example of being a person of love. And so I see God's spirit very strong in you. And, you know, I know we had a thought sometimes in some of the conversations that maybe you'll hear me raise your glass of wine and know that I could pour it through you even to support you and to strengthen you and to say thank you for your grace and to support for that and thank you again for that. And I just see this as a very basketball team that needs to play well. Dear Father in heaven, Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Well, there's a story of a young boy who was in school, and uh, the teacher was on a math unit. She was uh, teaching fractions, uh, helping, the, helping the kids uh, understand fractions. And so as an example, she said to the kids, she said, all right, so it's after supper, okay, and there's one piece of pie left. Now there's four of you. There's mom, there's dad, there's you and your sister. How much of that pie are you going to get? The little boy crunched the numbers and he said, and he goes, a third. And the teacher's like, a third? Like, don't you know anything about fractions? And the little boy said, no, but I know something about mothers. <laughs> so today is Mother's Day. And uh, the position of mother... Uh, over the course of humanity, has rightfully earned a reputation of one as of sacrificial love and uh, giving up a piece of pie, even though she'd gladly eat the whole thing. So every day you should tell your mother you love her, and uh, but since it's Mother's Day, you should tell her you love her, and you should do something nice for her. And for those of you who forgot, Pat Goosen has a nice store of flowers and bouquets, you should buy the big one. <laughs> well, uh, today we continue on in Ephesians. Uh, if, if you have a Bible, uh, uh, there, it's, um, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, today we'll be looking at the first 10 verses. Um, as we've been going through here, you know, the uh, Ephesians, you, you could break up Ephesians a number of different ways. But the way that we're kind of breaking it up, the way that we're looking at it, is that on the first three chapters of Ephesians is all about your identity in Christ and what does it mean to be seated in Christ. And so seated is our, is our, our theme word for Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And then uh, uh, Ephesians 4 and 5 talk about what does it mean to walk in the world. And so our key word is walk on Ephesians 4, 5, parts of 6. And then the last part 
of Ephesians 6, of course, is, is stand and how we stand against it, the enemy. Every time I preach to you from Ephesians, I'm going to say the words sit, walk, and stand. Uh, at some point, you will probably say, yes, Luke, we know, like, we've, we, we get it. Um, you don't have to keep saying it, but I do because I want you to remember this for the next 20 years, all right? Uh, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, when you're wrestling with identity issues, when you're trying to figure out how to be in the world but not of the world, when you're trying to, to figure out how to handle the enemy, I want you to be able to think back, like way back in the day, when Pastor Luke said, oh yeah, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. What does it mean to be seated in Christ? Ephesians 4 and 5. What does it mean to walk? So, just know that every single day I am going to, uh, to mention that. Um, so today we're in chapters 2, 1 through and 10. Uh, just this week I heard a fantastic phrase. And I've, I've just been loving it. I've just been, just kind of been going through, through my head all week long. And it's a great phrase that I think really sums up this passage. And the phrase is that he who finds God finds life. And uh, it just, it so succinctly uh, describes what's going on here. Let me read this to you. Um, I'll, I'll be reading the, the first ten verses. And uh, yeah, just you can either read along or you can just pay attention and let me just kind of read it over you. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. The way I, I want to look at this, or, or kind of break it up, um, is, is that I'd say that there's, there's three things that this passage gives us. First of all, it gives us the before and after. Of life with Jesus. Uh, what was like life like before? What was it like afterwards? Uh, it tells us the why. Like why did God do what he did? And it gives us the how of how God did what he did. Um, but, if you, but, but that one theme, just that he who finds God finds life. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, if you write in your Bibles, just write that in the margin. He who finds God finds life. Uh, if you remember only one thing from this morning, uh, I'm, I'm a bad preacher, but uh, if you remember only one thing, uh, then remember that he who finds God finds life. In the year 2000, uh, there were three families that, that wanted to go to Thailand as missionaries as a team, and they were going to go under uh, MB Mission. 
uh, formerly MBMSI, formerly BOMAS, formerly, uh, they've had a number of name changes. Um, but they were going to go out a, as a team. And at the time, this was revolutionary. At the time, uh, MB Mission only sent out families, only sent out couples. The team thing was very revolutionary, so they, they really had to kind of talk leadership into it. Uh, they were leaving in the year 2000, and they wanted to gather up 2,000 prayer supporters, so they called themselves Team 2000. And their commitment was for 10 years in Thailand. And uh, since then, I mean, it's amazing all that's happened, multiple church plants and orphanage, various ministries, other people groups in that part of the world. It's just really taken off. But the first church that they started, I never really paid much attention to it, but the first church that they started was called the Life Center. Not the Life Church, but just the Life Center, or sometimes they just called it TLC. And, uh, you know, these people were great storytellers. I heard them tell stories all the time. But only once did I hear the story of how that, that their, their church got the name the Life Center. So in the first three years there, it's just, I mean, they're just learning the language and learning the culture. Uh, Thai language is very difficult. It's tonal. So you have a high, mid, and low tone. You have a rising tone, and you have a falling tone. And a different tone is a completely different word. Uh, which basically means for me, it just made for great stories of people saying the wrong thing uh, all the time. You know, it's like I like to eat my hot dogs with there are tigers in the zoo or just like totally random stuff. And um, whatever, they get better than that, obviously. Um, so the, the first three years is just language and, and learning the culture. But one of the things that they encountered while they were in Thailand was a, a kind of almost kind of like an AIDS museum. Uh, Thailand has, has a rampant uh, sex industry. Uh, they, Thailand has gained a lot of notoriety as a prominent uh, sex tourism destination. Uh, and so one of the outcomes of that is just a large population that are HIV or, or AIDS positive. And, and by 2008, they had over half a million people that they knew about, just reported cases, who are HIV positive. And so the Thai government, in an attempt to curb this, set up a museum where they displayed the bodies of people who had passed away from AIDS. And it was, it was kind of like a, a platform and then glass, kind of on all sides. And you would, I mean, you would, and I think they took school kids there. I mean, like, all kinds of stuff. And so there's, and I mean, these bodies are just, are just withered and, uh, yeah. And this was hugely impactful for the team, or for at least a couple members of the team. I mean, it was just, it was awful to go through the, this museum and to hear them describe it. But, but they came out of that was just this kind of overwhelming, kind of just yucky sense of just, just death. Just this strong sense of, of death. Um, especially for people in this industry that, that death was just such a prominent part of, of what, they, what they faced and, and just kind of their current reality. So how do you convey the nature of God into that kind of environment? Uh, what is it about God? What is it that is unique to his character? What about God does this culture and this community need? What speaks to the true nature of God and yet is something that locals can grasp and understand and hold on to. And so they called their church 
the life-centered. Because he who finds God finds life. It was actually just a, a few years later in 2004 uh, where when we sent one of our first trek teams there. And um, that was the year that the, that the tsunami hit in, in that area. You may remember that on the news. And um, it was, uh, you know, there's an underwater earthquake off the, the coast of Indonesia. Over 230,000 people died in 14 different countries. Uh, one of the pictures, this one here, that boat was found two kilometers inland. Um, they, uh, you know, these are ones I just pulled up on Google. They, they have lots of pictures of, of the fatalities as well, too. So, so don't Google this unless you, you kind of have a strong stomach for it. But so the, the trek team was up north, uh, you know, with the missionaries when this happened. And through a couple of miracles and perhaps even just some boldness of, of personality in wanting to help out, uh, within a week, the trek team was on site helping out. And um, they just, just kind of all sorts of odd jobs, right? I mean, in that first week, not a lot is organized. And so um, they were just doing a, just kind of wherever they, they needed help. But there were a few who did work in, in the body recovery. And uh, the bodies were just stored in open-air temples until they could be uh, kind of properly dealt with. But there were just, I mean, just rows upon rows upon rows, uh, hundreds uh, at a time that they were dealing with. And one girl recounts walking up and down these rows and just having her heart broken and praying for Thailand and praying for the, the, these families. And suddenly she, just, she feels the Holy Spirit saying, saying, Amanda, don't you get it? Th- this is the spiritual state of Thailand. Spiritually, this is what Thailand is like. Do you not now understand how my heart breaks for Thailand? This lady has gone on to do a lot of things in life, a lot of them ministry-related, some of it overseas. You don't walk amongst corpses and have God tell you, this is what it's like spiritually, and remain the same. Um, Those are the experiences that change you forever. He who finds God finds life. You know, there are a few professions that would claim that their work deals with life and death, which is very important. It needs to be done well. But really, really when you think about it, only the church is dealing with eternal life and death. And that is no small undertaking. That's why, we, why what we do is so important, why we need to do it well, and why we have to be so proactive in pursuing people. Years later, uh, a Team 2000, that same team, started an orphanage, and they named it the Abundant Life Home. And even within that orphanage, uh, some of the orphans uh, had HIV. Uh, but a couple of years ago, there were actually two babies that were miraculously healed of HIV, which is pretty wonderful as well, too. Built into the innate character of God is that he brings life. And that's a theme that you can trace all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. When God exhaled and breathed into man, into his nostrils, the breath of life. This is who God is. This is what he does. And and Frank, I'm not even aware of another religion that, that even makes that kind of claim to say our God brings life. 
Those who find God, those who find Jesus Christ, find life. Well, in this passage, kind of under this banner of, of finding God and finding life, Paul, Paul articulates a, a before and after, before Jesus and after. And so what I did is I just pulled out kind of the direct quotes out of my Bible on the before and after. And so before he says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we followed the course of this world, that we followed the prince of the power of the air, that we lived in the passion of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and that by nature we're children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And then he says that afterwards we were made alive together with Christ, and that we were raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he, he begins this thing. He, I mean, the first few words, and you were dead. His opening line was, you were dead. Uh, we were dead spiritually. It's, it's, it's kind of another way of saying that we were separated from God. Uh, sometimes when you see that word, if you just kind of interject this understanding that we're talking about separation from God. Our sins, our trespasses, our failure to hit the mark, our willful rejection of Jesus. All of it contributed to spiritual death or separation from God. You know, the word uh, sins and trespasses uh, in, the, in English and in Greek are, are different words, obviously. But, but they really have the same basic meaning. And the word for sins is uh, hamartia. And it's actually a shooting word. And it means to miss. To miss the target. Uh, you know, to, to, to miss the bullseye. See, we often see sin as something really bad that other people do, right? Like, we're good, but then there are those other bad people. And so we're like, you know, good and bad. And that's kind of how we attempt to judge sin. But, it, but it's not about good and bad. It's about failure to hit the target, which is why sin is so universal and why we're all so good at it is because no one is ever good enough to, to hit the target, to, to ascend to heaven on their own. We all miss the target. Before Christ, we simply aren't good enough. After naming our death, Paul goes on to say that we engaged in every form of evil and temptation. If you look throughout Scripture, you'll find references to three different forms of, of kind of evil or temptation that we battle against. Here, Paul names all three. Uh, he says we engaged in all of it, every source of evil. We dabbled in it. Uh, following the course of the world, following the prince of the air, living in the passion of our, our flesh. Uh, you know, the course of this world, the world is evil. Uh, it doesn't like God. It rebels against God. I mean, watch the news. This, this is an easy one to, to understand. Um, Paul talks about following Satan. Paul, in fact, even calls him the prince of the air. Jesus, when he was on earth, called Satan the prince of the earth. When Paul and Satan, when Paul and Jesus, important distinction, Correct that in your notes if you wrote that down. When Paul and Jesus refer to Satan as a prince and name his domain or his, his kingdom as being of the earth, that, that should trigger a bit of a warning bell for us that, that he still has some influence and power. That this is not just some mythical creature who lives in a foreign country. Okay, that he and his henchmen are alive, they're well, they're active here in the U.S., even here in Henderson. He's part of our current reality. And Paul says at one time we all followed him. Thirdly, Paul mentions the passion of the flesh. That's a reference to the sins within. You know, you and I sin a lot. I think I can say that, I just did. You and I sin a lot. 
but, but I, I don't think it's helpful to call us sinners, per se. I, I think that was part of our old identity. As we have gone through Ephesians and talked about our identity, we have not encountered you are sinners, we have encountered you are adopted, you are ransomed, you are redeemed, you are beloved children of God, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But sin is a, it, it's, it's a habit that we continue to struggle with. I mean, last a few weeks ago, we kind of used the analogy that church is like AA for sinners, right? Like this is, this is celebrate recovery for sinners. This is group therapy for sinners, right? And you should attend your group therapy regularly until you die. Because it's not until you die that you'll be free from all of this, okay? So group therapy, every Sunday, 1030, here, uh, in the morning, we'll just meet in this space here. And I, as your leader, it doesn't mean I've mastered it, it just means that someone taught me how to lead a group therapy meeting, okay? Paul names all three categories of sin. The temptation of sin within us, the temptation of sin from the world, the work of the enemy. His last description is that we were children of wrath. That That's a hard one. I mean, it's all hard, but... Uh, that's a hard one. It's, that's not something we talk about a lot. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, but it's in Scripture. So we, so we kind of need to, to talk about it. One of the important things to understand is that God's wrath does not change from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, some people wrongly attribute the Old Testament as, you know, that's God's wrath and the New Testament is, is, is God's love. That's wrong. I mean, read the book of Revelation. Read all the time that Jesus talks about wrath. We're reading about wrath right now in Ephesians. God's character does not change from Old Testament to New Testament. What changes is the revelation of Jesus. There's a few other things that kind of tag along with that, but the main thing is the revelation of Jesus. But Jesus was the plan from the beginning. The wrath of God which is consistent of God's character all throughout Scripture, beginning then, will be great, it will be terrible, it will be eternal. But for those in Christ Jesus, the wrath of God is your old identity and not part of your current identity, not part of your new identity. Saved from wrath is part of your current identity. Paul gives us the why. Of this, He says, because of the great love with which he loved us. And he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I want to expand on this, but I actually want to do so using a, another piece of scripture that Paul wrote. Uh, Romans 5, 8, somewhat popular. Uh, but God showed us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But if you look at the context, if you look at the few verses before, it says... That while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So what he's saying is that here on earth, in our kind of human relationships, it is incredibly unheard of for one person to die on behalf of the other. And in the few cases where it does happen, it's so remarkable that the stories just spread all over the place. So in our earthly system, sometimes, rarely, once in a great while, you might 
have a person die for a, a righteous person or, or for a good person you know, so that that good person can carry on what they're doing, right? It's like someone took a bullet from, for Mother Teresa or you know, saved Rick Warren from a car crash or something like that, okay? Then we have this verse, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the remarkable thing about Christ's love and sacrificial love is that we weren't good, we, we weren't righteous, we weren't worthy, we really didn't have anything to offer. And yet, despite our place of this, I really can't pay you back, he still died in our place. His great love saved us, even though we really had nothing to offer uh, and unable to pay him back. That's how great his love is. Paul also says here in Ephesians, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show. God's publicity stunt is you. You are his like PR campaign. His media relations, advertising strategy, public marketing idea is you. And not only for this age, but in the age to come. So when God wants to brag to others about what he's capable of, he holds up a poster with your face on it. I mean, look around the room. Is this a good idea? It's his idea. He's doing it. You and I are the poster child for God's awesomeness. And even more, there are other verses, other scriptures that actually back up this idea. What does it do to your identity to know that somewhere God has a recruiting poster with your face on it? How must God perceive you to actively brag about you in such a public way? Lastly, uh, Paul gives us, you know, in Ephesians, he gives us the how. By grace you have been saved. And then also, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. At least twice Paul says that it's through grace. Grace is powerful. It's wonderful, it's marvelous, it's completely undeserved. Uh, but most of you are, are, are fairly familiar with, with grace and, and have heard on that before. So I actually want to skip over that, though, and actually look at the word workmanship. Paul calls us God's workmanship. Now, this word can also be translated as workmanship. It can also be translated as creation, uh, or even poem, or even work of art. God didn't just purchase you, he created you as a beautiful work of art. When I hear the word workmanship, I think of someone who makes a table. Meh, it's a table. Some two-by-fours, some plywood, chop saw, table saw, voila, a table. Meh. When, when I hear the word poem, all right, now that's, a, that, that's, that's pretty good. But when I hear work of art... For me, that's the strongest, uh, that we are called his work of art. I, th I think of beautiful paintings, amazing sculptures. 
when I was in college, I, I got to do a Europe trip with Doc Kyle. And uh, while there, I loved the museums. And, and sometimes, oftentimes, I was the last person to leave. Um, ironically, one of the few disappointments was the Mona Lisa. I saw the Mona Lisa and thought, hmm, looks like the postcard. And uh, walked out and looked at everything else. But in Amsterdam, I got to see Rembrandt's painting entitled The Company of Captain Franz Banning Koch and Lieutenant Wilhelm van Reitenberg Preparing to March Out. Today we call it the Night Watch. Uh, and it was amazing, like absolutely amazing. First thing I would tell you about this is that it's huge. It is almost 12 feet tall and over 14 feet wide. I mean, it takes up the entire wall. Uh, it's just massive. It was painted in 1642 by Rembrandt, uh, and he uses sunlight and shade to lead the eye to the three most important characters. You have the two gentlemen in the center, whose names I just said and not going to try to say again. And then you have a small girl in the center-left background who's all full of symbolism. She carries the claws of a dead chicken, uh, which apparently there's some symbolism in that. That's kind of like a play on words for a a ca cavalry unit and, and, the, and like the rifle they carried. Uh, she has a pistol. She's holding the militia's goblet. Lots of other symbolism. Uh, 18 different people commissioned the painting, so he put all their faces on there. They each paid him 100 whatever the local currency was at the time, $100. Uh, which at that time, a lot of coin. Um, there's a total of 34 different characters, though, in the painting. It's been vandalized at least three times. Two people slashed it with knives. One person sprayed acid on it. Uh, and when it was moved in 1715, they trimmed all four sides to make it fit the new place. Meaning there's two characters that were on the left that just got cut off and disposed of. Um, remarkable piece of work. It, it took a genius artist three years to paint that monstrosity. Um, full of symbolism, fills up the whole wall. It's close to 400 years old. You are a piece of artwork. Large piece of canvas, uh, meticulously crafted over a great period of time. Uh, when you craft something, details are important. When you make a table out of two by four, it's not such a big deal. But a painting, but a well-done poem, you're trying, to, you're trying to craft something that will last for centuries. The placement of every word is carefully thought out. Each brush stroke must somehow contribute to the main idea. With fine craftsmanship, details are meticulously planned. You are not an accident. You're not some haphazard, slapped-together pile of goo. The details of who you are were meticulously organized and put together. You are God's craftsmanship. You are his workmanship. You are his poetry. You are his work of art. So what do we do with all of this? Uh, for the time being, I'd say not much. We're dealing with identity, right? We're going to get to the thou shalt do thus and thus later on. Uh, that's going to come later when we're into the walking and the standing. But for right now, we're, we're looking at identity. I mean, if you wanted to, to, to do something, I guess there would be a challenge to, to reprogram your thinking, to change your understanding, to, to reprogram your mentality in some of these areas. 
I would share one more thought, though, on this passage. Uh, this passage is hard to follow. The grammar is just all over the place, and, and, and Paul just doesn't know a short sentence to save his life. Um, but when you really break it down, there is one main noun, and it's God. Then there are three main verbs. They are made alive with, raised up with, seated with. And the object of each of those verbs is us. So when you look at just the bare bones skeleton of this entire paragraph, what you have is God made us alive with, raised us up with, seated us with Christ. That's the bare bones skeleton of this entire passage. He who finds God finds life. Um, and so to expand on this idea that you are made alive, that you are raised up, that you are seated, Paul reminds you of the before and after, how you followed the ways of sin, uh, the, way, the way of the world, how you're seated with Christ. He tells you why, because he loves you, because you are his poster child for his awesomeness. And he tells you the how, through grace, and because you are meticulously put together, like a beautiful work of art. Amen? Amen. He who finds God finds life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for these powerful chapters that speak to us on our identity. Lord, thank you that your identity is one of life and that in you we find life and that all life is sourced out of you and that that's a continuous theme from the beginning to the end of Scripture, that you are a source of life. Uh, physically, you are a source of life. Spiritually, you are the source of life. God, there are powerful truths in this book of Ephesians about who we are and how you see us, uh, and even implied within that how you don't see us, Lord. I pray that for all of us here that you would reprogram our thinking, that we would understand how you see us, how you value us, how you made us alive, how you raised us up, how you seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. And that you had great delight in doing this. And that all, all members of the Trinity were involved as a part of this. We love you, Lord. Amen. If God gives life, then we need to come to him. So let's stand and just sing this as our prayer. And we can also be ambassadors for Jesus and draw other people to him as well. Come out of the sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come be. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven
joy for the Thank you. 